this coming Friday, right here. So hope to see you there. Um, hey, it's good to turn and greet, you know, for all you extroverts and for all you introverts. <laughs> Sorry. Um, but uh, that was fun to get to be able to mix it up a little bit again. Okay. Um, we're going to start off today with doing something. If you haven't been here for a few weeks, we're happy through August and um, we've been for the month of August, encouraging you to try to remember to once a day do this benediction prayer. And, and, and it's just a way to get us centered on what is true, to correct lies, and remember who God is and who we are. And so we'll put it up on the screen here. And uh, you know, this week as I was doing this, um, this is the line that got me. I'm not what I have, what I do, or what people say. And I thought, man, that has caused me problems throughout the year. When, uh, you know, I was, I was believing I was what I have or what I do or what I do or what people say. And uh, so one of the things that this does in our time with God is just to really state truths and, uh, and correct wrong thinking. And so we're going to start out by doing that this morning. So let's stand together. Um, this is like exercise time. Sit down, stand up, feel the burn. Okay, here we go. And we're going to pray this together. Ready? Out loud. Here we go. Dear Father, you have created me for your glory. I am not what I have, what I do, or what people say. God, I am your child, and no one can take that away. There's nothing I can do to make you love me less or more. Jesus settled the score so I don't have to hurry or worry. I am known, loved, and forgiven. Heavenly Father, I rest in your love while courageously extending kindness to others. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. All right. Okay, today, um, okay, try to get your mind around this, but we're going to look at some followers of Jesus who are really focused on and trying to know him more and trying to make him known to others. And yet everywhere they went, they faced people who were angry and divided and hostile and even who became violent. Man, now try to imagine that. Divide, living in a divided people who are angry and uh, so we're going to look at that today, Acts 13 and 14, and we're going to look at how Paul and Barnabas responded to that and uh, pull some truths out about how, you know, followers of Jesus today, you and I, are to respond um, to that. And so Acts 13 and 14 is the first official mission trip. If you've ever been on a mission trip, they're awesome, they're life-changing, they are exhausting, they never go the way you plan, um, and God works, you see God work, and it's just a, a sweet experience as you interact and mix it up with people from a different culture and, and different life experience, and it kind of strips away a lot of the stuff that you think, oh, that's so important, and you find out it really wasn't, but um, connecting and digging in to your relationship with God is. And so we're going to see the first missions trip. It's, it's Acts 13 and 14. We're going to cover two chapters. And so, yeah, we are going to travel about as far as they did. Um, and it, it begins 
the third stage of, of the book of Acts. Remember, um, Acts 1.8 says, you will be my witnesses in Judea and Samaria, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, in the outermost parts of the earth. And so chapter 13 begins the outermost part um, efforts of spreading the good news of Jesus. So verse two of chapter 13, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. So they're in Antioch, and, um, and the church leaders in Antioch lay their hands on Paul and Barnabas and say, okay, now we are sending you out to spread the good news to parts of the world that have yet to heard about Jesus. And so let's look at the map, and we're going to be looking, if, if you like maps, this is your day, because um, we're going to be looking at this map a lot. See, a uh, starting point in Antioch over there. And the red line is where they went to, and then the blue line is how they came back. And so the first thing they did is they set sail for the island of Cyprus, okay? And so when they get to Cyprus, what they do, and you're gonna see they do this everywhere they go, they go to the synagogue first. And the reason they go to the synagogue is because they were Jews. And so as Jews, who was, you know, and Paul was a... Um, you know, aspiring, educated Pharisee. And so as Jews, it was common when learned Jews and rabbis came into town, you would give them an opportunity to teach at the synagogue. And so they said, we have an open door right there, so let's start at the synagogue. And that's what they would do. And they did it over and over and over and over. And so really, as we go through this, I'm just going to pull out a little things that, that should you know, relate to us. And that is, they went to the open doors. And so you and I, I mean, the, the, the moment you crossed the line and decided to place your faith in Jesus, do you know, do you realize, at that moment, you became a representative to Jesus everywhere you went. Everywhere you went. Jesus says he wants to be known, and he wants to work in us and through us so that others can know him. And so we are to be his hands and feet, we are to be his mouth and share the good news of him wherever we go. So a lot of times uh, we have this disposition like, okay, wherever I go, I'm just gonna argue with people who don't believe. And I'm gonna just tell them, you know, you believe in this and you believe in that, that's just so dumb because God obviously says that's not true. And, but, but, Paul and Barnabas here, they didn't go in looking to knock doors down. They went in looking for where are doors open. And that's something for you and I. Are our, our, our eyes even open to opportunities we have to engage people in spiritual conversations? I know I have a buddy who, who um, said he, he oversees a, a team at his work, and, and every time his team changes or new people come on, he, uh, he spends time with them, and he asks them about their story, and then he tells them his story, which always includes his spiritual journey. And he's just looking for opportunities. Let's get to know each other. If you're going to know me, this is who I am. And, and, he, and he does that. And, and so he's looking for opportunities. Where are there open doors? Not where can I, you know, be insensitive, but where 
can I um, step in and speak up? And so they, uh, they went and they started throughout the island of Cyprus, going to the synagogues and teaching people about Jesus. And they saw many people turn and place their faith in Jesus. But they also, for the first time, saw opposition. And they would see opposition throughout their journey. And it wasn't like they were trying to create opposition and create division. But when you share Jesus with people, who is the hope of the world, um, there's going to always be people who say, no, no, he's not. I'm not buying into it. You you can't convince me. And and they're going to oppose you. And that's what happened to them. And, And there was a false prophet, a sorcerer, who stirs up people against them and tries to undermine them. And, um, and they, they kept speaking truth, and many people placed their hope in Jesus. And so now they leave Cyprus, and so we'll go back to the map. There it is. And so they, they traveled through Cyprus. Now they leave Cyprus. They set sail to Perga. They land in Perga, don't spend much time there, and they travel up north to Antioch. Okay, well, Antioch. So when you're reading the Bible and you're thinking Antioch, did they travel back home already? Nope, it's different Antioch, kind of like Salem, you know, Salem, Oregon. Well, there's Salem, Massachusetts, there's Salem, Ohio, Oklahoma, Alabama, Arkansas, Florida, Georgia, Indiana, Iowa, Kentucky, Connecticut. I mean, it's everywhere. And so they they just went to a different um, Antioch and it was in the area of Pisidia. And so they traveled to Antioch and what do they do? Oh, by the way, when they take off from Pathos in Cyprus and go to Perga, one of their fellow ministers, somebody who they're pouring into, mentoring, young man named John Mark, he says, I'm going home. And so he leaves at that point. And so we've talked about him in the past. We'll probably hit him again um, later on. But, uh, but he departs from right there. So he just hit Cyprus and went home. And they go on, and now they're up in Antioch, and what do they do? They go to the synagogue, and they are asked to share. And now at this point in chapter 13, we find out what they're saying, at least an overview of what they're saying, as Paul gets up and teaches, and Paul now has kind of taken the, the, the lead ahead of Barnabas. And so we saw the leadership of Barnabas for so long, and now all of a sudden Paul, who was kind of the student, now is becoming the point person. And he basically gives these Jews in the synagogue a history lesson of of their ancestors, of their ancestry. He's saying, you are Hebrew people. Let's remember the history. And he talks about Abraham, and he talks about how their population grew while they're in Egypt, but how they were enslaved, and then finally that they were freed, and they wandered the wilderness until they finally occupied the promised land that God had promised Abraham, and, and they occupied that, and then they had judges, and, and eventually they wanted kings, and they had kings, and then he even goes up, um, which they're not aware of, but to a person named John the Baptist, who was the forerunner of Jesus, and what he's saying is, you know, all of this history in the past was all part of a plan, and the individual moments of history, that wasn't the big meaning. The big meaning was that it was all pointed to a savior, a promised Messiah, Jesus, and he's come, and he's died on the cross, and he's risen from the dead. 
And he says this in verse 36 of chapter 13. For David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep and was laid with his fathers and saw corruption, which means decay. His body decayed. Okay, so he's saying, David was awesome. We all know David. David's our hero. You know where David is now? Well, his body is dust. All right? And so then he's verse 37. But he who God has raised raised up, did not see decay. And let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And he's, what he's doing is he's saying, there is a big story here that you can lose amidst all of the little stories of history. There's a big story, and it's the hope of the world, and it's where our attention needs to go in that uh, we are in desperate need of being reconciled to Jesus who created us to be in relationship with him and yet we walk away from him. And so now there's a way for us to be reconciled back to Jesus. And he says, uh, you know what happens to all of our human leaders of the past, Moses, Abraham, David, um, after after their life on earth was over, their bodies were laid to rest and they decayed. Um, and the Bible tells us our life is like a mist. I mean, one time I was teaching on that passage and I brought in a little spray can and just like, there's a little mist. Oh, it's gone. And he's saying, that's our life. You know, that's our life. And so get a picture for all these events in, in moments in history and they're a mist, but there is a thread going throughout all of history that we are in need of a savior and a savior has come and that's eternal. That does not change. And so he's just saying, hey, remember slavery in Egypt? That's a mist. Remember King David? Yep, he was a mist. Think about the biggest issue in your culture right now. It's a mist. It'll go away. It's not eternal, but God's promises are eternal. Now, it doesn't mean that those cultural moments are not important. We need to step into those things. But they're not our hope. They're not our hope. We have a bigger thing that we're connected to, and that is our true north. And these other things that are important are important, but they'll go away. We're in another election year. I don't know what's going to happen in December. But whoever gets elected governor, they're temporary. You know, whatever ordinances or or, uh, things we vote in, it's temporary. But what's not temporary is our God and the truth that he loves us and he's pursuing us and he's made a way for us to be reconciled to him. And that truth never goes away. Our cultural moment, our cultural moment that grabs us and makes us so angry is a mist. If Paul and Barnabas focused on their cultural moment, I mean, everywhere they went, they made people angry. People eventually wanted to kill them. They served under a a government that was just so pagan, so evil, self-seeking, Abusers of power. If they focused on their cultural moment, they would have quit. 
They would have quit. It's overwhelming. Is our goal to change this cultural moment? No, our goal is to look for people who are open to hearing about Jesus and share them with them a truth that will change not only their moment now, but all eternity. And that's where they were focused. Verse 43, and after the meeting at the, of the synagogue broke up, many Jews and devout converts of Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who also spoke with them and urged them to continue in the grace of the Lord. It's like, okay, you have placed your faith in Jesus and his grace that has made an opportunity for you to be forgiven and reconnected to God as his child. Now, keep pursuing him and that truth. Don't, don't leave and say, okay, now I'm, you know, with this new information, I'm going to now focus on all the cultural issues. It's like, you know, step into them, but they're not your hope. Stay connected to the grace of God. Walk in his grace. Keep doing it. Stay connected to him. Many followed and continued to learn, but the religious Jews became jealous and began to undermine them. So Paul and Barnabas moved on to speak the good news to the Gentiles. They didn't leave the city. I mean, the, the people were getting mad at them, and the Jews were becoming hostile that did not believe in Jesus. And so they said, okay, we will go to the Gentiles of the city. And, and many of the Gentiles began responding to Jesus. And, and the church there began uh, to grow and expand. And, um, but the Jewish leaders continued to hammer at them, and they went to the city officials, and they turned the city officials against Paul and Barnabas to where it became um, unsafe, and Paul and Barnabas left. And so now we're to chapter 14, all right? So in chapter 14, if you look at the map, they, um, they go from Antioch to a city called Iconium, um, where the old red arrow is. And so now they're in this province called Galatia, all right? And so later on, if you fast forward about another eight, nine years, Paul, who's going to be in Ephesus, is going to write a letter to this area and to the churches in this area. So he, Galatians, the book of Galatians in your Bible, is written to the church of Iconium, Lystra, and Derbe that were all established in this first missionary journey. All right? And so now he goes to Iconium and um, and there he goes to where? He goes to the synagogue. He goes there first, he speaks to the Jews, and then he began speaking the good news of Jesus to the Gentiles as well. And many Jews and Gentiles put their faith in Jesus, but the unbelieving Jews are angry again because they're not believing what he's saying. And, there's, and, and so Paul and Barnabas are a threat to them. And so they start speaking lies and turn, trying to turn people against Paul and Barnabas, and the city divides. The city um, is aware of Paul and Barnabas, and half of them are going, man, what they're saying rings so true. I am placing my faith in Jesus. My eyes have been opened. I'm in. And the other half are going, no, this is, this is bad news. This is terrible. This is um, bad for our city. In fact, it's dividing us. And so what did they do? Verse 3, so they remained a long time. Love that. I loved it. It's like, hey, if you're not going to kill us, we'll stay. <laughs> and so they continued to speak boldly for the Lord, who bore witness to the word of his grace. Now, you know, just grace, grace, grace is constantly in there. People are treating them without grace, and what are they doing? They're extending the grace of God to others. 
And God did signs and, God did signs and wonders um, through their hands. But the people of the city were divided. And some sided with the Jews and some with the apostles. And so, again, their mindset in the midst of hostility is not to stamp out sinners. It's not saying, you know what, the, the sinful people in this city just make me sick, we're going to attack them. No, no their mindset is, um, we're going to avoid them, and we're going to try to win those who are open to the good news of Jesus. We're, we're not up to stomp out sinners, we're out to win sinners, and we're sinners, and we are won by Jesus. And so, they were looking to reach people and draw people to Jesus, not wipe people out, but win them over. And so now, they are, um, they're in Iconium. Um, after a while, uh, it became so divisive that this time, the people of Iconium uh, wanted to stone him, wanted to kill him. And so they said, okay, they're trying to kill us, time to go. And so they left and they went down just a little bit south to, to Lystra. And Paul and Barnes continued to do what they always did. Went to the synagogue, spoke to the Jews about Jesus, and then went to Gentiles and did the same thing. But in the midst of all of that, Paul had the opportunity to talk to a man who was lame, and God healed this man. And so that news spread throughout the city. And then they had a different, they had a weird reaction. The reaction is, they began to bow down to Paul and to Barnabas and worship them. And they said, you know, you are your Zeus and Hermes. And Paul and Barnabas are saying, no, we're not. We are just people who place their faith in the real one true God and are sharing his good news. And they're saying, no, 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 no. And so here's the backstory here. This is why this is happening. I've read this before and go, this is weird. This didn't happen in other places. Why is it happening here? Well, because in Greek mythology, the people of Lystra were told for generations that Zeus and Hermes had actually visited their town. And when they did so, they visited disguised as two poor people. And they went through the town and people ignored them and rejected them until they came to a poor farmer and his wife, and they welcomed them in and took care of them. And then Zeus and Hermes eventually um, revealed themselves to the town, and everybody who had reje uh, rejected them, they turned them into frogs. <laughs> and the farmer and his wife, they gave them a house of gold, which the people in Lystra when Paul and Barnabas were there, they could point to their temple, to Zeus and Hermes, and said that was the house that was given to that farmer couple. And so now, there's two men that come in, and they heal somebody. And the people of Lystra go, aha, not this time. You're not fooling us this time. And so they bow and they begin worshiping Paul and Barnabas. And Paul and Barnabas are saying, no, no, no. We're just humans. We are just servants of the Most High God. And now what's happened then is the, um, is the Jewish leaders from, I from Iconium and from um, uh, Antioch, 
they end up following Paul and Barnabas to Lystra, and they said, no, these aren't, this isn't Zeus and Hermes. This is guys who've been causing problems wherever they've gone. They're just people. And so now the people of Lystra are embarrassed. And they're, they're just like, oh, we've been tricked. And so now they want to kill Paul and Barnabas. And this time, they do stone them. They pick up rocks, and they throw them, and, and, and they basically so... Um, injure Paul where they drag him outside the city and they leave him for dead. Now verse 20 of chapter 14 says this, but when the disciples gathered around Paul, you know, his, his body on the ground outside the city of Lystra, he rose up and entered the city. So, I mean, a lot is not said there. But I think followers of Jesus were praying and, and surrounding him and wanting to take care of him. And I think God helped heal him because he rose up and he entered the city. Right back in. And on the next day, he went with Barnabas to Derby. Okay. You know, just the tenacity and the focus of these two on the hope of God and the importance of making him known. Um, they face opposition and they stand up against it and they keep at it. And uh, Tyler actually showed me this cartoon this week that I want to show you. First, second, and third, third and fourth century Christians. Whether imprisoned or persecuted, the faith of the martyrs will prevail under any form of government. That was their mindset. American Christians today, my presidential candidate wasn't elected. These are truly the end times. Ouch. You, you see, as the church expanded, it was constantly facing opposition, constantly facing persecution. It was just like, hey, Jesus faced persecution. Wow, we get to be like Jesus. It didn't throw him off at all. But see, American Christians have bought into this Western value that if we're following God and doing good, then we should not be facing opposition. We should not be facing circumstances that are difficult. And so now that some things, there is opposition and our culture's changing and things are happening, we're going, oh my gosh, this has never been this bad. It's a sign of the, you know, Jesus is coming at any moment. And I think the, you know, the saints that have gone before us are going, how wimpy are you? Seriously? You think you had it bad? Anybody in your family been dipped in wax and lit to, to light the street up at night? I mean, seriously. Get your eye on the ball. And that is that God loves us. He's created us for a relationship with him. And if we focus on him and the value of him and the hope that he offers Every other issue in our life pales in comparison to the importance of knowing God and making him known. Are they unimportant? No, I'm not saying that. Not saying that. But I am saying in comparison, we got to make the main thing the main thing. And as soon as we make all these other things the main thing, might as well quit. Because they're not our hope. They're not our hope. God's hope. There, there is one source of hope, and it's God. 
Okay, so now they continued uh, on to Derby. They did the same routine in Derby, um, which is uh, the last place there in Galatia where they went. They established a church there, and um, it doesn't say a lot about what happened there other than that many people came to place their trust in Jesus. And now, verse 21 of chapter 14, and when they had preached the gospel to that city and made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch. They went back, why? Because people had placed their faith in Jesus and they loved him and they wanted to encourage him and saying, hey, you're gonna face opposition. Stay connected to God. Stay connected to God. Spend time with God. Sounds really weird, sounds really mystical, but he's basically saying if you don't slow down your life enough to remember who God is and who you are as a result and slow down enough to actually think that you are in the presence of God and enjoy his presence, then then you're going to get messed up by everything else that's screaming for your attention. And so he says in verse 22, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying that through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. And then they go back to Antioch. Now, we've just covered the first missionary journey. And and I want to kind of connect this now to, um, I think, a learning for us about that whole journey. And I think we can learn it by going forward eight years and reading the letter that Paul wrote the church in Galatia, Antioch, Iconium, Lystra, Derbe. And he said, you're still experiencing opposition. There's still division and anger all around you. And so here's how you respond. Well, we need to be courageous. We need to fight against it. Well, yes, but like Paul and Barnabas did. Galatians chapter five, verses 13 to 15. You were called, for you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, as what's happening all around you in your culture, you start living like everybody else, watch out that you're not consumed by one another. So here's the big thought as I look this over. And that is living on the mission of Jesus doesn't always change the culture. But it does always change the Jesus follower. You know, sometimes we think, okay, we've got to change the culture. That's the plan of God. And it's like, no, we've got to share the hope of God to people who are open to it. And God will change them. And God will change you and me. That's the promise we have. And so as we look at our culture and our cultural moment, Are we responding to it the way everybody else does? Or are we responding to it through loving and serving others? So love your neighbor as yourself. We weren't given, Paul's saying, you weren't given your freedom to look like everybody else. 
You were given your freedom so that you can run after the heart of God and allow his heart to transform your heart for people. So you respond differently than the culture. Verse 16 of chapter five of Galatians. But I say, walk by the spirit and you'll not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of, of the flesh are against the spirit and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. He's saying, Iconium, Lystra, Antioch, if you just go with the natural flow of your natural inclinations, you're going to be just as angry as everybody else, and you're going to be just as vengeful and ready to fight. But he's saying, you don't drift into living like Jesus. You drift into living like your culture. And so spend time with God who's with you. And his spirit will begin changing your heart. That's a daily struggle. Yeah, I was in converse, I've been in conversations recently where I just was, I could feel the anchor welling up in me. And I was mad at the culture. And I could just feel the anger. And it was like, okay, that, that moment, that conversation was not a great one. But if I can look at it from an eternal perspective, if I can gauge the culture from an eternal perspective and look for opportunities to share the real hope that actually transforms people, um, that's where I need to be. But I'm not going to be there just by trying harder. I'm going to get there by, allowing God, by spending time with God and allowing his heart to transform my heart. Verse 19, now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions. It goes on. Um, verse 22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with his passions and desires. I mean, and, you know, that's, that's our, our guilt before God is crucified dead once for all. Our transformation is an ongoing thing. Is an ongoing thing. God is still at work in me, in transforming my heart. And I see him changing me. But there's a long way to go before my life is known to be one that's, yeah, loving, joyful, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. You know, in the midst of our culture, we're gonna stand out when God transforms our heart. When we respond to things, not like everybody else is responding to them, but we're gonna respond in love because we love people because God loves people. And so we're going to extend the hope. Be courageous against opposition, but be courageous like Paul and Barnabas was. The truth of Jesus and his grace and his hope and his love stirred up riots, but they were never riotous. The truth of Jesus and his hope for some resulted in rocks being thrown at them, but they didn't throw rocks back. They were looking for opportunities to share the hope of Jesus. And then they stepped into him. 
Are we even looking? How can we be intentional? How can our hearts be right to step into conversations that go below the surface where we can share the hope that we've found in Jesus and the fact that there's a God who loves people and they don't even know it and there's a God who's pursuing them and they don't even know it and has made a way for them to be part of his family. When you stay connected to God, we spend time with God, we love him more. His value grows because he's deserving. And these other things, they knock us off our horse less often because we're focused on the main thing. Let's uh, close our eyes, bow your head where you're at. And as we look at this missionary journey, you know, what, what, what's God been talking to you about? Are you convicted about something? Just, just confess it to God. God's not there waiting to you know, slap your hand. He's there waiting to give you a hug. And so confess your sin to him. And then what does it look like for you going forward? If you're following Jesus, if you're loving him and making him known, then what opportunities has he given you? And maybe the first thing that comes to your mind is I need, I need to surrender to him. I need to become a follower like people did in the Jewish synagogues, like people did who are Gentiles. But uh, it rang true. And they knew that they were loved and pursued by God and they decided to respond. And if that's what you would like to do today, to place your hope in Jesus, and you can just let God know, and, and that's conversation, that's, a, that's, we call it prayer. And you can just talk to God right now and just say, God, I know that you love me and that you created me for a relationship with you. And I've spent a lot of my life ignoring you. And so today I turn to you and I ask for forgiveness and I surrender to you. And now God, as you walk with me as I'm part of your family, would you open my eyes more and more to who you are? so that your value will, will raise in my heart and your grace and love with that you're extending to me will transform my heart so I can see people like you see people. Thank you, God. And it's in your son's name we pray. Amen. If you just prayed along with me, um, just real quick, as soon as we're done, if you would do me a favor, just go out those doors to the middle station out there and let them know that you prayed along with me today and they just have some information for you. It is, is not selling anything. It's just, hey, here's some thoughts that um, just, uh, they're principles that are that what, about what you just did. So when you're questioning later on, it's like, okay, what did I do? It's like there's a little sheet of paper with some verses on it that says, okay, here's, reminds you of the truth. And then, now what? 
gives you a couple ideas about, okay, now how can you begin developing that new relationship that you have with God? And so just stop by, get that information. If you're online, uh, thank you so much for being with us and watching. Um, you can get that same information if you go to rollinghills.org um, slash next steps and uh, give your information there and we will send that to you as well. Now we have the opportunity to take a moment to, uh, to not only to worship and sing songs about the Lord, but to remember his sacrifice for us in communion.